You're listening to Campfire Conversations, brought to you by Three Rivers Land Trust. Connected to the land, committed to conservation. some chowder head who doesn't know when to keep his big trap shut. You'd catch me running off with a mother's skin and poking the chops. Middle of the night. I know, I know, but he's proud of his town. You know, that's a damn rare thing these days. You still want one of those uh, discount credit cards for the rooms? Yeah, well, I'll have to charge you for a double, but uh, with a discount, it'll come out even. Well, that's pretty good. We're saving money already. We're a pretty good team. from planes, trains, and automobiles, uh, some of John Candy's lines, and some that we thought were pretty fitting. Um, we feel like we do make a great team here, and uh, with you, the listener, we're a great team, and uh, we're saving money already. So anyways, we apologize for not getting this episode out before the new year um, with all the hustle and bustle of everything that was going on. It seemed like for some reason it was scheduled to load and did not, so we're a week behind on getting this out to you. But we're looking forward to season four coming at you um, shortly hereafter. But you'll hear in this episode, we talk about some of our adventures over the holidays and uh, how we're now separated again due to coronavirus, COVID-19. So thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Separated and remote. Sucks, man. Yeah, I thought we were done with this. Yeah, you had to go and uh, get around some folk. <laughs> you got you haven't got your test back yet, have you? No, I uh, I went today and got my test, but I went home for Christmas, and my sister brought a brought a friend home who um, she couldn't go home to her parents for Christmas because they had COVID and she lives elsewhere, and uh, so she got a rapid test and it came came back negative and so she was hanging out with us we were playing cards and like eating off of the same cheese board and stuff you know i mean just doing christmas yeah and uh gets a call about 48 hours later after we've been all just close and together doing the christmas thing and she actually had a false negative and she was positive for covid so you can't get any closer than that i don't feel like if you were gonna hug covid you hugged it yeah pretty much yeah. So, um, yeah, right now it's day six since first exposure. I feel pretty good, um, but, I, I mean, how could I not have it? So we'll see. Yeah, and apparently, like, every single person, it's a different symptom. Like, some people feel better than they did before they got it. <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't know. I've, I've had a lot of, a lot of different um, feedback from people. I had. There's a guy, Ryan Wilson, who's a sports member and owns a fly shop in Cornelius, Madison River Outfitters. Not a sponsor. Um, but if you want to be hurt, you better get on it there. Yeah, I'll reach out to him. He's a friend. And he uh, he got super sick. Yeah. And he said he, he has, he's got a brand new baby who got COVID and his wife got it. And neither of them had any trouble whatsoever. 
uh, and then he was sick for like two weeks from what I've heard. And so who knows, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, Tiffany on our staff, she's got it and she, uh, she can barely breathe. I didn't know. I haven't heard how she's doing. I'm, I'm really sad to hear that. Yeah. She said that her, uh, she got it same kind of same deal like you Christmas and just immediate family but one of the immediate family brought it with them and uh, so she says that when she's sitting on the couch perfectly still her heart's beating as if she ran a marathon wow uh, so she's not doing great either um, so I don't know man uh, I, I don't know I I guess I've not had it. If I have, it was pre when we even knew that it existed because I was pretty sick. I was pretty sick like back last December. Um, but that would have been early. Yeah, that would have been early. I know people, they're finding out that people have the antibodies that, you know, were sick much before March. But so I don't know. If I had it, it was back then. I've been tested twice since, since then, one just recently. You know, I'm clean, and I've stayed away from folk, but, yeah, it's weird. I, I didn't want it to be where we were going to be recording this way, but this is what, we're, this is what we've been reduced to. Yeah, I guess uh, I guess the first thing to start out with, with would be, you know, around, these, around the holidays and all that. It's really nice to get around and see family, but uh, be careful. Even, you know, even trying to do the right thing, which we were, and wearing our masks out and stuff like that, um, even the most careful people can get can get busted. So, yeah, it's just it's it. You know, at some point, it's like what's the what's the risk versus the reward? I guess. Sure. I I, I don't know the answer to that, and I don't think it, if anyone did, then there would be clear lines on what we should be doing. But there <laughs> there are not, and so because of that, you just got to make your own decisions, and you know, hope that everything goes okay. But, yeah, and I hope everybody listening. I hope you're staying safe and yeah. feeling well. Yeah, that's what I'm feeling. I'm feeling fine. I feel fine enough to, after exposure, to go out and hunt a few times. Well, that's so, good. That's that's always a plus. Before we, uh, kind of as we're hopping into things, speaking of speaking of stories, um, the first thing that I wanted to talk about, um, since we just talked, kind of brought up hunting, and that's what we like to talk about. Was you told me an unbelievable story about your latest waterfowl draw with the state, and I think that's one worth telling. Would you mind? Oh yeah, no, it was uh, <laughs> it was the uh, well, we dubbed it the the duck hunt from hell. <laughs> it was it was awful. It started off absolutely bad. Um, so we had. So this is going back the week of Christmas. Yeah, this is a, this is a long story, by the way. Yeah, it, but, yeah. So it's, everybody lock in. Yeah, strap in. in for a long one. But you'll learn. So this twenty twenty has been nothing but a learning experience for me from from the word go. Everything about this year, including my my first actual duck hunt of the year, because um, we talked about podcast or a couple podcasts ago. I haven't been duck hunting this year, which is not 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 like me, um, but just with everything going on and. Needing to put other meat in the freezer, ducks hadn't been really a priority of mine. But uh, this last split, you know, I've dedicated some time to to going. And so week of week of Christmas, I took all that week off, but one day. And um, 
left to go on my duck hunt to the coast on Sunday night. My brother and I. So to back the story up, I wish he was on the call because his story, his story, you haven't even heard his story, Sam. Mm -mm, his, His story is much, his version of this story is much better than mine. Because here's the part. I don't know how that's possible. Oh, well, I'll, I'll just tell it from his perspective. So the week, so Wednesday pre, so two Wednesdays ago, my brother left to go to the Chesapeake Bay striper fishing with some guys. And so they striper fished for a week on the Chesapeake, right? Like out in the big water trolling boards for monster stripers and caught some 50 inch fish i mean giant stripers and had a really cold awesome trip in chesapeake bay and went they actually stayed in on the virginia side was where they stayed but they were taking the boat like towards maryland and and going up in the on the other side of the Chesapeake, Delaware area. Um, so anyways, they're fishing. And so Sunday they were coming back. They were leaving, going to leave early Sunday morning and come back. Well, they hadn't, everybody on the boat, it was a crew of uh, three. Everybody on the boat had caught a 50 inch striper or better, which is kind of the, uh, kind of the bar as far as giant stripers go. Um, once they hit that 50 inch mark, they're pretty much a pound per inch. So, so yeah, for every inch long they are, they're usually about a pound in weight. So 50 inches means 50 pounds, more or less. Um, so everybody caught a 50 pound plus striper except for my brother. And so they decided Sunday morning before they came back, they were going to hit it one more time. Well, I like that. and they were going to leave at 9 a.m. No, 8 a.m. They were going to leave at 8 a.m. no matter what, whether they'd gotten a bite or not. And they'd all agreed to this. Well, they go. But this is this is kind of like everybody's caught one, but Jesse, Jesse deserves to get one. Yep. Let's go one more time. Let's go one more time. Try That's to get good friends. Try to get I him. Like his, try to get him his. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. They're they're good fishermen. And uh, so they go and. I think it was maybe the first rod out, and they hadn't even got it all the way out yet. And you've you've trolled boards with me before, so you know how that process works. Yeah, oh yeah. It's like it's like this: a bunch of things are happening, and it's a lot of work to get these boards set, and it takes a, a bit of time. So you set your first board, and you're letting line out on it while you're putting out the other ones, right? So that's what's happening, and the board gets smashed, smashed, and uh, they hook up, and it's pretty easy to tell when you're hooked into a big one or not. And it was obviously a big one. And I think it was a 53 inch striper. And so my brother landed it and uh, got his big fish. So pre, and they were on the road by eight 30 headed back home. And so his plan, he had already, so he packed all his striper fishing gear and went up there. But before he left, he'd packed all his duck hunting gear and had it laying by the door of his house. So his plan was, as soon as he got back to his house, he was going to dump all his striper gear off in a pile, throw all his duck hunting gear in the truck, come to my house and hop in with me, and we're going duck hunting. So going yeah, from the awesome. going from the Chesapeake Bay to the Pamlico Sound all in the same day. Yeah, that's awesome. So that's exactly what happened. 
Um, although on the way home, I get a call from him as he's coming home. This is Sunday. He's supposed to be at my house by by five or six. I don't remember. Um, at night, I get a call from him. And says, "Man, we're having problems. We uh, we burn up a, a hub on the trailer, but we're uh, we're we're just gonna." Um, take that tire off is a dual axle trailer so they're able to run just one tire on one side and limp it home so all good and so that's what they do and he makes it to my house pretty much on time well during the day sunday while he's on his way to get here i've been working on my boat my duck boat uh trying to get it ready for the pamlico because it hadn't been cranked since august um that's pretty much when i quit fishing and I'd actually, I'd, I think I might have even talked about it on this podcast before, but I took some folks, I'd guided a few folks on a catfishing trip that it got really rough um, while we were out, and it actually broke some of the mounts for my trolling motor, um, where it's welded to the boat, the actual bracket. So I'd had to have that fixed, so I had everything pulled off the boat, so I was fixing all that Sunday. So I worked on the boat all day to even get it running, let alone seaworthy. Um, by the time my brother got there and I had everything packed by the time he got here and we loaded up and it's like we ate a little dinner and left out, I don't know, probably seven o'clock ish Sunday night. Um, which is not my, not what I, the way I like to duck hunt, Sam. I don't like showing up to the ocean without having scouted first. Yeah. It's awful. It's um, a terrible idea. It's just not good. Especially down, it's so dangerous down there with you know, the sandbars change, the oyster bars get shallower or deeper, there's crab pots, there's there's yeah. ships. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you definitely need to see it in the day. Don't matter how many times you've been, it would be great to see it in the daylight one time before you're going out in the dark the next morning. Yeah. Like, and, it, and have an idea of where you're going to go. Now, granted, I've been going down there for for 15 years at this point, but still, it's like... I don't like going without checking it out first, but we didn't have a choice. So we leave in the dark, and this is key to the story because we left in the dark. Well, not too far into the trip, I realized I don't have but one trailer light working. And it's like, well, we've got one, and it's a, it works. It's got turn signal and brake, so, you know, we'll only make right turns, basically. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, it'll be fine. We'll, we'll – I think we're good to go. There's nobody of on the... All, of all things to go wrong, that's... Yeah. If that's our thing to go wrong, not a big deal. As yeah. to be expected with boat trailers. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. it's, you know, whatever. Who cares? I, I mean, I may not even fix it. Um, but anyway, so that's happening. But it's dark, so you can't really see the trailer that well when you're towing it down the road, you know? Because it's dark, so the only illumination I've got back there is like my taillights reflecting onto the boat to make sure yeah. it's still hooked to the truck. That's pretty much it. So we drive, and it's pouring down rain, pouring down rain. We drive all the way to the coast, which is a little over four hours um, to where we go, and we pull into the boat launch parking lot um, around 11.30 at night and get out to take a leak and let the dog out and let her take a leak and stretch our legs, you know. And as soon as I get out of the truck, I smell burnt metal. And I was like, what in the world is that? So I start walking around the, the truck and the boat, 
looking for stuff that could be going on and I get around to the passenger side of the boat trailer and instantly see that we've got issues. I'd burn up one of the hubs on the cap, the grease, so the bearing buddy on my hub had come off somehow going down the road and I guess slung all the grease out of my hub on my trailer axle and uh, it had burned up all the bearings in the hub. And there was nothing. It looked like, Sam, it looked like hair hanging out of the trailer hub. It looked like a clump of, like if you got your hair cut, and especially your hair, it looked like that. It, <laughs> it looked, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not even joking. If your hair was yeah, silver, that it was that texture. Um, like super coarse, coarse. hair yeah. hanging out of this hub. And that was the that was what was left of the bearing. So just just melted it, you know. And the trailer's sitting cockeyed and the wheel's all loose, about to come off, you know. The only thing holding the whole thing on there is this castle nut on the end of the spindle, and it's, like, not in good shape. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. And the place we're at, in my opinion, is the most remote place there is in North Carolina. When it comes to if you're going to get some assistance, there is no there is no help. There is nothing. Um, there is nothing there at all. Um, no stores, no phone service, no nothing. It's it is it is the middle of nowhere. Um, as far as coastal North Carolina goes, there is nothing there, and uh, no 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 shops, no there. AAA. Even if I'd had AAA, they weren't coming out there. You know what I mean? Like nothing to do and so we mill about thinking about this and decide that well it could have it could be worse it could have happened in the middle of raleigh (laughs) on the side of the highway and we had to deal with it there and it may have happened there but we made it all the way to the boat launch so we're there we're here all we got to do is get the boat from where we're parked right now into the water and we're at least hunting once and then we'll deal with deal, deal with the issue so that's what we decided to do, but it's still raining and it's 11:30 at night, so we're not launching the boat yet. We're we're die hard, but we're not crazy. Um, and uh, midnight rolls around. Sam, this is no lie. We talked about this earlier. This is no lie. Midnight on the dot. Here come three pickup trucks with boats, duck boats, and launch. And it's I mean I'm talking raining hard. And three trucks with duck boats launch at midnight on a freaking Sunday night <laughs> to go duck hunting. And it's pouring yeah. down rain. And I'm like, wh- I look at my brother, I'm like, what is happening right now? I was yeah. like, we're the first people here. And and these, I was like, if these boys want it that bad, they can have it. I was like, hands down, they win. They, they're going to get their spot first because there is no way, there's not, an, there's not an amount of ducks out there that will make me go sit in this rain. In this cold, for six hours. For six hours, it's not. There's. Yeah. No, I don't care if you promised every duck I shot the rest of the season was going to be banded. I probably wouldn't do it. It's like, no, not doing it. But those boys did, and they were young. I mean, obviously they were young, right? Um, I think once you yeah. hit when you hit thirty years old, you don't do that kind of stuff anymore. Um, but they were they were like, I would say high school aged guys yeah so i give it to them as much as i want to not like them i liked them i like yeah. i like the cut of their jib <laughs> you know sure yeah 
And so they launched and went on. And so we, I, was, I looked at my brother as they were launching or as they were getting their gear together to launch. I looked at my brother. I was like, well, should we go for it? You want to, you want because they had some small, the other thing was they had small boats, man. Like, like less than 16 foot, 16 foot and under. And they're launching to go a place that a 16 foot boat, across, yeah. 16 foot boat has got no business going. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh. So I asked my brother, I was like, well, what do you think? You know, you want to do it? You want to go for it? And he's like, he looked at me, he's like, are you, are you high right now? No. <laughs> yeah. I was like, agreed. And he was tired. I mean, he'd just come from the Chesapeake. And uh, I was like, yeah, let's not. So we hang out and it gets to be about 3.30 and we've kind of like off and on napped in the truck, you know. And uh, finally I'm, I'm to the point where I'm like, all right, it's go time. I can't take it anymore. So we another truck pulls in as we're getting our waders on, and they launch their boat. And I'm like, "Yeah, we got to, we got to go. People are, people are coming now. Like now, it's normal, normal operating procedure." And so we we limp the boat over to the boat launch with the torn up trailer and get the boat in the water and uh, take off. Well, it's so dark; it's the darkest I've ever seen it. Hold on, I got a call beeping in here. Hold on, let's decline that. That's um, great. Yep. So it's, it's as dark as I've ever seen down there. You couldn't see your... If you cut off the lights, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face that dark. Like there was... Usually I can navigate down there, lights, just my running lights on my boat on, which is what's legal. Um, usually that's all I need. And uh, I, I can just navigate with the skyline and know my way around. Uh, not Not that night. Dude, you couldn't see... You couldn't see the marsh. You couldn't see the trees. You couldn't see the lighthouse. You couldn't see nothing. It was black and fog. Just about like that time me and you went deer hunting on Tuckertown. Mm-hmm. Just, you couldn't tell what was where. You didn't even know which end of the front of the boat was if you weren't yeah, sitting we down. Were, we, were, we were out there on the river and pretty much lost. Yeah, yeah. And if you drive straight in any direction, you're going to hit land. <laughs> but you couldn't tell what was straight. <laughs> So it was like that, but we, uh, I've got GPS on my boat now, so that's not really an issue. Um, so we run pretty much blind to the, to a place where I've hunted before that I like. And, uh, to our uh, amazement, nobody in the spot, nobody there. And I was like, great, this is awesome. So we proceed to start setting decoys and we sit, we sit about four or five dozen usually in this place i mean we we put out a lot of decoys we're hunting divers and uh so we put out a lot well we we get probably three dozen set and we're like trying to check where we're going to set up the boat blind and make sure that they're in the right place well we've completely it's so dark we've gotten completely turned around and we have we have pretty much walled in the place where we're going to see it like the way the decoys were placed we would never kill a duck yeah. And so we had to pull them all and start over. And uh, so anyways, we did. We got them set. Got the boat lined up. Everything's running. Everything's going good. And, you know, the shooting light rolls around and some few ducks here and there. Well, we wind up, we wind up scratching out eight, eight ducks that day. Um, ruddy ducks, uh, ringneck. And my brother got a uh, a black scoter, a Drake black scoter, which was pretty cool. Um, Very cool, yeah. 
it's cool to get a it's cool to get a sea duck right there. I mean, it's not uncommon, but you know that particular spot it was a little uncommon. So yeah, it's unique for sure. Yeah, and our first one out of the boat out of that boat, so that was cool. So, anyways, decent hunt. All all in all, decent hunt. Dog got to make some really nice long retrieves, so it was fun. But the whole time I'm dreading going back because I know I've got to deal with this trailer situation and can't decide whether I'm going to drive the trailer, drive the boat around and tie it off and leave it in the water or put it back on the trailer and try to limp it to a camp spot and then work on it. And keep in mind, I've, I don't have a lot of tools on this truck. I mean, we're going duck hunting, not working. And, uh, or at least we thought. So we we get the trailer loaded and go to where we're going to camp and and unhook it from the truck and the boat's on it and how far how far was your campsite from where you uh two miles so we that's so a long sketchy lift it was it was a long two miles because we drove about six miles an hour for two miles yeah um so and it was yeah it was sketchy the whole way i was like please just let it make it to here and so we get it there and we are trying to figure out what's going to happen so First thing we got to do is get the hub off, right? So we pull the hub off with the tire, and we're looking. We're able to get the back side of the hub off where the bearing seals were, but the race is this little sleeve that fits inside of the hub, and it's what kind of it's kind of like a condom for the spindle on the axle, basically. Um, it protects the axle from if your hub blows out, it doesn't ruin your your spindle. Well that hub and bearing had gotten so hot so much friction that it had welded on to the spindle that race had welded onto the spindle i could not get it off and there was no way to get it off like beating it wasn't going to work nothing was taking this thing off it was on there and it didn't matter because i didn't have a hub anyway like i didn't have a like who's carrying around a spare hub right like you carry a spare tire but that's you know that's that's it and so we had to drive. We thought we were going to have to go all the way to Newburn. And uh, we wound up finding this little store before you get to Newburn, which was still, we had to leave the boat and everything. And we drove, um, we drove 45 minutes one way <laughs> to find the, the first store, which was a uh, CarQuest Napa situation. But luckily it was a coastal, like middle of nowhere town car quest napa that was prepared for uh tore up boat trailers and they happened to have a hub a pre-packed hub with a bearing in it that i the size i needed and uh so i got that and i bought a here's the things i bought i bought the hub i bought a cold chisel to try to cut that race off with i bought uh, another adjustable wrench because the adjustable wrench i had was too small and rusted shut so it wasn't even working um i bought oh the main ingredient the main thing i had to buy was a uh an electric angle grinder which they had one and i bought that and uh let's see what else oh and some uh, we needed some rags and a can of grease and so for rags they had uh, uh scallop bags so we bought some scallop bags for rags didn't uh, you say this is like a sea seafood slash <laughs> yeah like part, store. part store yeah well they sold like commercial fishing gear like <laughs> grundons uh chest waders and 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 rain suits and boots and like commercial boat 
commercial fishing vessel supplies like pulleys and 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 snatch blocks and and net gear and mending. Hubs. Yeah, and then they also sell like Hubs, races, spindles, shrimp. Yeah, yeah. So it was a cool store. Like I, I, under different circumstances, I would have loved to have went shopping in there. But those guys were like, yeah. we were telling them the whole story, just like I'm telling you now, and they're like cracking up and like, yeah, you guys are screwed, uh, pretty much. Like, there's no way you're gonna be able to fix this. But they're like, but we deliver, and I was like, oh, that's great. So when I need more parts, I'll just call you boys up. And they're like, yeah, you know. So anyways, I got their phone number. Yeah, and stuff. you can get us some auto parts and a cast net. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no kidding. So anyways. We head back, and I've got a power inverter for my pickup that plugs into your cigarette lighter. And first thing we try is to pound this race off with the cold chisel, which is not, it's barely scratching the dang thing, let alone cutting it off. I mean, it's not happening. And and plus, I've only got, I didn't bring a floor jack, so I've only got the bottle jack out of my truck. And that's what the boat trailer's sitting on, right? And it's just lifted up by the axle. So every time you pound on that thing, the other guy's got to hold the trailer steady so it doesn't fall off that little dinky bottle jack. And so, you know, bad situation. Awesome. Just bad, bad, bad situation. And so finally I'm like, yeah, we got to try this grinder. So I bought two cutoff wheels, and it came with a grinding wheel. So I put the... Uh, I've got a question. Yeah. Where is that? Where is the race welded on? Like, like, is it is it on the edge or is it just all the way through up against where, up against the where the race meets the spindle? So the spindle, so the so the axle sticks out and the spindle's like the cone shaped end piece that your yeah. hub mm-hmm. slides onto. Mm-hmm. Well, at the back of that, there's a plate welded around that, and that's as far on as your hub will slide when you slide it on. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. up against that plate around the spindle right there, that's where the race is. Um, welded like cold welded on and uh so when you pull your so if you were to pull your hub tire off the axle this would be the first thing you would see behind the threads where your castle nut threads on to hold the whole shebang on there does that make sense how long how long is the race about two about two inches long yeah Mm -hmm. maybe three may have been maybe maybe even three where the race meets the spindle on the interior of it, um, it's welded. Yeah, it's welded completely on all. Yeah, there's the way there's no seam. Absolutely no seam whatsoever. Looks like it's uh-huh. made, looks like it's a part of it. Yeah. Okay. And it's not a part of it. <laughs> um, it's not supposed to be. So yeah, no, there is no seam left. So there's like nothing to grab a hold of, or nothing to like, like if you're thinking like stick a chisel in behind there and like whack it off from that like one. Hit it with a hammer. Yeah. Not happening. Yeah. And keep in mind, I don't have a hammer either. So I'm using my, my broken or my rusted shut crescent wrench to do all my, my whacking. Yeah. And so, and I'll tell you the story behind this hammer situation in a minute. But so we get this grinder out and I try to turn it on. I plug in my inverter and plug in the grinder to the inverter and I've got the grinding wheel on there and I go to turn it on and all the lights go out, man all truck lights go out it blew it blew all fuses <laughs> all fuses blown bad deal right so i've got enough fuses to replace the important ones you know to get the truck back running and uh a couple of extra fuses here and there and i'm like all right well obviously this grinding wheel's too heavy pulling too much power i'll put one of these little cutoff wheels on see what that does well 
instantly blows the last cigarette lighter fuse I have uh, on my truck. And uh, I was like, well, that sucks. Now what? Back to cold chiseling. So we go to chisel a while, and I'm like, this is getting us nowhere. Well, there's absolutely no way we're going hunting or home or anywhere until we get this grinder working. That's that's the scenario. And so I decide to straight wire my power inverter to my truck battery, bypass all fuses. And so cut the cigarette lighter thing off, wire it up, put some ends on there, and twist that on to my truck battery. Okay? Plug the grinder back in and cross our fingers that, like, nothing's going to blow up or catch on fire, one, and for two, that the grinder's going to work. Well, it works for, like, two seconds, and then it would shut the inverter down because it's like a power overload or a, a draw overload. And so it'd go, and that was it, and that was it. And you'd have to re- you'd have to flip the switch on and off on the uh, on the inverter. And so we'd go like this. But you could you could go like it would be like, and then you, so it'd stop. You could just flip on, flip off, and then it would do it again. So you could yeah. Well, wait. you had to wait. Like there was a, a delay. Like you had to. So it'd go, and then you and then that'd be it. And you'd have to stop, flip the switch on the inverter off, flip the switch on the inverter back on. Then flip the grinder on again and do another, uh-huh. and then, yeah. so it's going like that. But That's I'm cut, awesome. but I'm cutting a little bit. Like every time I get a little, like a rotation on the wheel, on the grinding wheel, or on the cutoff wheel, I cut just a just a little bit, like a hair's depth into that race. And I'm like, man, if I could just get this thing going and get a decent, you know, give me 20 seconds of grinding power, and I'll cut this thing off. Well, we figure out that if we timed it to the to where my brother would flip the switch on the inverter at the exact same time that I flipped the switch on the angle grinder, that it would run for like 30 seconds, which is an eternity of time compared to what we had had. So once we figured that out, and it would give enough power, and it doesn't make sense. Also, I left out that in order to generate enough power through that truck battery, we've got a block of wood on the gas pedal of the truck revving it up to 2,500 RPMs. So it's pull, so it's pushing out about 14 volts to the battery um, instead of 12. Right. And so all oh, this is so dangerous, all this uh, science, man, all this science is happening. And so once we figure out that if you flip both switches at the, I mean, I'm talking about, it's got to be exact, like one, two, three, go. And both guys flip switches. Um, as long as you got that timed right, you could get 30 to 60 seconds of cutting power out of this baby wide open. And once we figured that out, man, I had that race sliced off of there in in a minute, just cut it right off. And then the axle was all, the spindle was all chewed up from where that thing had been banging around on it. Yeah, I'm sure. And so I was able to grind all that back down smooth, clean up my threads on my, on my spindle the whole night looked like a brand new one, you know, like professional job. And then once we got that done, man, it was like smooth sailing from there. Got out the new hub, packed packed grease in that thing, smashed that baby back on the back on the uh, on the axle on the spindle. Uh, put the castle nut on there, put the tire on, and dude, we're we're smooth sailing. 
pack some more grease in there and pack the cap on and we were done. And uh, you never talk about a sigh of relief that a man breathed after that was over. Dude, once I got that done, I was like, I don't care what happens. We're, I'm I'm ecstatic that this is over. But uh, didn't. It's about, it's about dark at this time, right? Oh, it's dark. Yeah, we finished it up at dark. Like, uh-huh. put the put the cover on at dark. Like, yeah, just and you know it could have been worse, but it was it was bad. So, out of all that, we're trying to keep a positive mental attitude. Me and my brother, which is hard for us to do. <laughs> hard for us to do, and not fight, not not just be mad at the world and mad at everything, and and uh, try to keep a, a, a head, a good head. And I mean, we're able to keep a good head as far as the situation, but just like trying to trying to keep it upbeat and not be down about it. Yeah. And uh, so we get to like it's to the point where we're like being silly, and we get to laughing. And so you've heard of Grubhub, right? So the deal where they deliver you, uh, yeah. we came up with another one. And if anybody listening steals this, I will hunt you down. How about Hub Hub? We came up with an idea for a business <laughs> called Hub Hub where, and here's where you, what you do. You advertise in marinas, boat launches, trailer places, uh, bait spots, tackle shops, fishing gear places. You, tr- you advertise... Anywhere where there's going to be a chance of a boat trailer being there. Because here's what you're guaranteed. For every, I mean, how many boats are out there, Sam? Billions, right? I I mean, millions. Millions. What a bunch. Millions. I give you millions. Yeah. In the United States, how many boats do you think there are? Um, A lot, right? I mean, let me take a guess at that. 20 million. I, I feel. I feel confident in that, if not more. Maybe more than that. Oh, yeah. I mean, what are you counting as a boat? Are you counting kayaks as a boat? Anything. Okay, here's what I'm counting as a boat. Anything that requires a trailer or has a trailer with it. So some kayaks, yes. Any any boat that is towed on a trailer, you're guaranteed that that trailer is going to have, at minimum, one axle. Do you remember what I said? How many boats did I say? 20 million. 20 million. I just Googled it. Total of 17 million recreational boats. Oh, that's a good guess, dude. And that's just, <laughs> re- that? and that's just wreck boats. Okay, okay, let's 13, use it. 13 registered. Okay, you're the, you're the mathematician. So keep, the, yeah, sure. keep this number. So keep that 17 million number in your head. Yeah. So you're guaranteed for those 17 million boats that they each have at least one axle underneath them. Minimum. Some of them have two. Some of them have three. Each axle has at least two hubs, minimum. So that's 17 million times two, right? At, at minimum, that's how many hubs are on the road right now. There is no business that will, day or night, 24-7, no matter what, answer your phone call and bring you the hub you need and fix it for you. I think it's the, uh, it's the land version of CETO. It's it is the it is a common problem that is extremely hard to fix without the proper equipment, and even if you have it, it's still hard to fix. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, and I'm a fairly poor guy, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you in that instant when that happened that night, and we found out about it, I would have gladly paid five hundred dollars to have had someone to have the peace of mind to know that all I have to do is make this phone call, 
and that within five hours, someone is going to show up with exactly what's needed, and they're going to fix this thing professionally, and all I've got to do is worry about going hunting. They'll have it fixed by the time I get back to the trailer. Just like when you get your windshield replaced, right? Yeah. And I would have paid... Oh, I mean, it is. It is Cito. I mean, yeah. you know Cito. You know yeah, it's like Cito. Like, yeah, except, I mean, for trailer business, or, or, which is... And it's only going to be hubs. Like, we're not going to do tire changes or anything else. No, I think you should do tire changes. Nope, nope. I think it's hub, hub, and that's... We could we could expand into tire changes, but for the I time... I don't think there's enough... I don't think there's enough business. Oh, I, I think, think you're wrong. My brother business. had... The thing is, my brother had it happen twice in the same day on two different boat trailers. And both of them had brand new sets of hubs. Mine and the other one. Twice maybe. in one day. Twice in yeah, one day. Maybe so. By the same maybe so. same guy. So just think. all the, I mean, it's a lot. Like, it's happening a lot more than you think. <laughs> and so we got thinking about this. And it's like, all you'd have to do to have a business, other than a little bit of advertisement to get your number and name out there and, and like, have it where people can easily Google you. Is be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And be willing to go anywhere. Like, if someone calls you and they're on the Chesapeake Bay, you'd be like, yeah, I can be there in 13 hours. They would they would be like, okay, sounds good. Come on. <laughs> yeah. And you charge if they're, them. If they're calling you. If they're calling you and it's that bad, then yeah. Because the thing is, there is no They're other not way. Going to, anywhere. They're not yeah. going anywhere. There is no other way to fix it. And that's what I'm getting at is is like we just I mean, somebody may ride in with like a grandpa you know, old man trick for fixing stuff that and I'm gonna I don't care what I don't care what anyone writes in. The only way that that trailer could have been fixed is the way we fixed it. With a grinder. But somebody may have another idea. But Hub Hub is, uh, we're going to be firing that off sooner than later, I believe. Uh, I think it's a viable business. But that's how silly we were getting. Like, we're cracking up about this business plan. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, like, coming up with that. And it's just, whatever. But, anyways. And you got to get up in three hours to you get You got to get up, exactly. Purpose. Because the next yeah. day is the day we really do need to leave early because we're on a draw hunt with three other parties could possibly be there. And uh, we didn't want that to screw us, screw us up. You know, we've come this far. We're, you know, be danged if someone's going to ruin our hunt by beating us there. Yeah. So, but we, after all this, we've decided that we're tired. And we're tired of dealing with everything, including decoys. And so, we elect to sleep in the next morning, as far as duck hunting goes. We don't leave the boat launch until 5 a.m. Wow. Don't even leave the boat launch. Plenty of boats ahead of us. Don't care. Do not care. Go to where we're going to access our permit location from. There's nobody tied off there. Huh. That's cool. Walk over. Shine the shine the impoundment, you know, one time to see if anybody's like in our... Like, just turn on our light to let it be known that we're here. Right? And nobody flashes us back. We're like, holy crap. We've got this thing to ourselves, and we slept in. And I hadn't seen a lot of ducks anyways the day before. And so we're like, you know what? We're going to uh, we're gonna just uh, paddle our kayaks out to the spot where we like to sit. And we're going to uh, just post up, you know, when it gets to be shooting light. And uh, see what flies by. And after that, you know, we're just probably just going to drift around with the wind and see if we can drift into some birds. 
because nobody feels like putting out decoys. It's just not worth it. So that's what we agreed to do. And uh, so we wait till shooting light and launch the kayaks. I get in mine. My brother's still getting in his. I'm in my kayak with my dog paddling out to the spot where we're going to sit. And as I'm paddling out, and it's, it's legal shooting light, so my gun's loaded. I look up, and here comes a swan, which I have a swan permit. Here comes a swan on a string, on a string, dude, at at 35 feet up. Right to, I mean, I'm talking right to me, slow, flying into the wind, slow. And I'm like, huh, there's a swan. And my dog sees it, and she's whining and talking. I'm like, just stay still. I was like, just wait. I start easing my, I ease my paddle down, ease my shotgun up out of the kayak, and I'm waiting, and it's, it's in range now, like, there's no doubt it's in range, but I don't have time to change out for swan loads, okay, I've got duck loads in, I've got three inch number threes, this swan gets right over top, right over, right over top of the tower, dude, and I pull up, boom, dang thing folds like a bag of hammers, folds up. And just for precaution, since it's a swan and I've dealt with swans, I go ahead and put another one in him. You know, so boom, thing splashes the water like like you've done a cannonball off the high dive. Yeah. And dog bails out of the boat, goes and gets him. My brother's still standing on the bank. <laughs> He's like, hell yeah. <laughs> you know, just saw it all. He's like, dude, that's awesome. I was like, well, got that tag field. And uh, so we go ahead and paddle over the spot, tag my bird, and we sit there, and a few ducks fly by. My brother kills a couple, and then we go to drift. And I'm hesitant to tell this part of the story, but you, I know you like this part. No, it's my favorite part. Yeah, I don't want to tell it, but I will. So after it gets good light, it's a sunny day. This this day's sunny. We uh, we noticed that on the far side of the impoundment, there is, and I go ahead and. If you listen to this podcast, I'll go ahead and admit that I, I apologize for this. And I'm sure you think I'm an idiot. But if you would have known what built up to this point, I think you would forgive me a bit. But uh, and, I, and I have no shame in this. Um, but I just want you to know that if, 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 I, if this was you, I'm sorry. But, um, but I don't, I'm not sorry that I did it. I'm sorry that it happened to you. Because I would do it again. Um, but... Um, we noticed that there are, and and here's what made it so believable. I've just killed this swan, right? We see two swans on the other side of the impoundment. Like, this is a long way. This is over, I mean, it's a mile, man. Like, you can barely make out what's going on. But we see two swans sitting over there and what looks to be a raft of ducks. And it looks pretty believable. And uh, so we decide, hey, man, let's, uh, let's put the old sneak on and so we we proceed to put a mile long stalk on this this get the wind right and you're just, yeah you're just and we're drift, drifting yeah. into the wind not using paddles with, staying yeah, with the wind right yeah drifting with the wind staying uh, in yeah. staying low in the boats like like market gunner style <laughs> and uh, got your lantern on the front of the boat, like <laughs> basically the basically yeah. and we uh, we get we get to within about a hundred hundred and fifty yards. And I start noticing that these jokers haven't moved. Like, they're drifting around in the wind, but they have not, like, started to swim away or get nervous or flap their wings or nothing. And I'm like, that's weird. 
You know? <laughs> like, huh, maybe they just can't see us. Which is, I mean, we had the sun at our back, so there was a good, that was a possibility. And I was like, I, I don't know. And, like, I'm trying to get my brother's attention. Because well, we're spread out. We're, we're 100 yards apart. Like, we're planning on putting the pinch on these birds. And uh, he's, he's focused in on the task at hand and not paying attention to me. So we keep drifting. And apparently, he's trying to get my attention. But I don't, like, apparently we never looked at each other at the same time. But yeah. uh, anyways, as we get and within. One of you, yeah, what, both of you are thinking, these, these are, I don't want to give the punchline to get punchline away. Go ahead, keep going with your Yeah, story. yeah, we're, well, we're both thinking something's odd. Something, yeah. Something's off about, about yeah. what's happening here. <laughs> And uh, then I noticed that one of these ducks keeps squirting water up in the air. <laughs> like, it's weird, right? Like, like why, is, why is this duck squirting water out of its butt like that? That's, that's, that's weird. And it turns out it's one of, those, uh, one of those motion decoys that, like, squirts a little water every 10 seconds. Yeah, and the reason, I know it's every, the reason I know it's every 10 seconds is because I timed it as we're drifting in. I was like, okay, it just squirted. One, 1,000, two, 1,000. Oh, it just did it again. And then I can't, and I was like, "Oh, it's doing it at the exact same interval every single time." That's because it's not real, dummy. It's a decoy. And at this point, I'm like, "Oh dear God!" And I'm trying to get my brother's attention, but he's commit. He it seems that he it seems to me that he's committed to the stalk. And I'm like, "Well, I don't want to leave. Like, I don't don't. I didn't want to just spin around and let him drift into the thing, and me not be there to back him up, you know? Because like I figured there'd be like a fight or something." I was like, well, I guess we're just going to drift up in here. So we get within, I don't know, 60 yards of the spread. And I hear a dude either say, and we can hear dudes in the other impoundment just talking loud, like nonchalantly, because there's no birds flying. There's no birds anywhere. And so I could hear those dudes. My brother could too. But then I hear this guy that's obviously hunting the spread. I don't, he either said one of two things. The one thing I can't say on the podcast. The other thing he could have possibly said was good morning. I don't know which he said. Um, if it was the other thing, it was not good morning. <laughs> it was basically the opposite of good morning. Yeah. And I don't know which it was. Um, so I, because I did not know, I could not see them. They were hidden really, really, really well. And kudos to them for having such a beautiful spread because it was perfect. <laughs> if I was a duck, if I was a duck, they would have killed my ass. Perfect spread. Perfect spread. Um, it looked great, and what made it believable was the two swan decoys they had. And the reason it oh, was is because that's, that's where my swan came from. Yeah. So it was like believable that there would be two more swans sitting over there, and the the species that they had out were exactly what's in that area anyway. And they had them positioned in such a way that it looked very natural. Um, yeah, I've had. I mean, I've had dudes talk about. Heard plenty of people talk about getting hearing somebody calling on public lands for turkeys and then be like oh it was such it sounded so good and i, I went in there and slipped in there and it was a dude and it was yeah. and it was a dude but yeah. i don't think i've ever heard of a of a mile long stalk on a duck on a duck decoy spread like that and i'm seasoned man like and you're see- oh yeah oh yeah so they, they, it must have been pretty it was good it was the boys the guys the men whoever it was they had a fine spread. <laughs> Unfortunately for them, they were not killing ducks. They I don't know that they fired. And the thing, and here's the other reason. When we when we first got to the impoundment and we shined, like, 
it's common courtesy if you're hunting to flash back, yeah. to flash back so everybody knows yeah. where everybody's at. Nobody flashed yeah. us back. Mm-hmm. You know? So why would we think that anybody else was there? Yeah. Um, so just, uh, I'm sure there's some like duck hunting forum on the internet where some guy's just talking mad junk about the two buttholes that drifted in on his spread last week. You know, yeah. and here's where it gets better. <laughs> so... We abandoned the we abandoned the stalk. Oh, I'm sure. And just turned right around. Turn, yeah, 180. 180, yeah. paddle hard. Yeah. And uh, we decided to leave the impoundment and go uh, go drift some public water that's just open, you know, you're you know to hunting. And my brother kills a bufflehead in there. Well, then we decide, well, it's time to go. Let's get back in the impoundment and paddle around where the boat's at, and we'll get out and fix some breakfast, you know, and go home. As we're going that way, my brother's like, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the long way around and check for some birds." I was like, "All right, cool." Well, the guys with the nice spread are still hunting, and uh, we uh, I noticed I'm almost back to where we're gonna get out to our to the big boat, and uh, my brother I see him stick his paddle straight up in the air. That's the signal. That's the signal that it's on. Yeah. And I'm like, so I give him the signal back. And proceed to paddle over. And it's, man, it's a long ways across there. Um, a long ways. 500 yards or more. I don't know. Long ways. So I paddle over there. And as I'm... And I'm paddle into another guy's Well, no, well, you know, who knows? Like, I didn't know what was going on. But the whole time I'm paddling over there, I'm thinking, it better be worth it. There better be a lot of birds over here. Because uh, this is a long paddle for, like, one. You know? Yeah. And as I get closer, I see that there are there is a gang. There's a gang of ducks over here, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is this is looking good. And so we give each other the hand signals of, hey, you go this way, I'm going that way. We're gonna ease in on these birds and jump them. And so we we start slipping in, get within shotgun range, and I'm like, all right. And I'm gonna go ahead and, I'm gonna be honest on this podcast, full transparency. On this hunt, I was willing to water swat, whatever. I was there to kill some ducks, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't kill a duck all year. I mean, I needed to knock the, I needed to get some duck meat down. And uh, so, if you if you're a diehard, don't shoot them on the water kind of guy, you know, I was not that that day. And I done decided I was like another ten paddle strokes. If they hadn't got up, I'm gonna lay into them, as if <laughs> I'm about to sell them on the open market. And uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, that's what I was feeling. And, uh, but that didn't happen. About two paddle strokes into the 10, they got up in a wad. Okay. And you know how ducks are when they get up in a wad. It's like, you got to pick one and it's really hard to pick one, but you do the best you can and you usually miss them all. Right. Yeah. Well, not the case, not the case. And the day before I, I, not to brag, but I'd been on my game. I shot a triple. Um, and my brother actually got mad at me. He's like, dude, I wanted to shoot one. Like. <laughs> So I was already didn't, feeling. Didn't you shoot the? Didn't you shoot the three? And then your brother, when that black scooter or something was coming in, that you. Was yeah, I left that part out. out. Yeah, it came into the decoys perfect, and uh, my brother's like, "Don't you even touch your gun?" And I was like, "Huh?" I, I had just shot a triple the day before, and he's like, "Uh oh, uh, Boone's coming to tell hey, me night night. Hold on, hold on. Let me tell. Uh, let me tell the baby night night. Boone, you're on the podcast, buddy. Say hey. Hi. Say hey to the podcast." 
<laughs> I love you. <laughs> All right. So, anyways, a little visit there. Um, but, uh, no, he had said, uh, I just shot that triple, and he said, uh, as that duck was coming, he's like, if you touch your gun, I'm going to slap it out of your hand. <laughs> and I was like, huh? He's like, He's like, you just shot a triple, dude. It's my turn. I want that duck. Was it, was it, yeah, wasn't he off when you shot those birds? He was off, like, messing with decoys. He was standing, he was standing. A recovering bird. He was standing like on that. the back of the boat like he had just gotten back from recovering a bird. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh-huh. so he was, like, standing on the back of the boat, um, you know, like, trying to trying to get back in kind of deal. And so, and, and then. Was, the, and you were like, well, instead of waiting on him. There's no time to wait on him. I'm the yeah, they're coming screaming. They come in screaming to the decoys. I pull up, bam, 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 and drop all three of them. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And he'd gotten his, and he'd seen them coming and gotten his gun and was waiting for him to pass by me so he could shoot. <laughs> there was nothing left to shoot at. So when that next duck came in, he says, uh, "Yeah, if you touch your gun, I'm gonna slap it out of your hand. I don't care if the duck gets away. But uh, I, this is my turn. Don't you even think about shooting at it." Which I thought was super funny. But That's hilarious. Uh, I don't blame him. And anybody, and there's going to be, there's no doubt there'll be some write-in on this. Because anybody who's ever bird hunted with me, especially ducks, um, or doves, but especially ducks, will say, yeah, you're not the most fun guy to duck hunt with. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'll, I'll own it. I'll, uh, yeah, if they're coming, I'm shooting. Um, no doubt about it. But, uh, so, anyways... <laughs> That happened, and so now we're fast-forwarding back to when we've drifted in on this raft. Well, they all get up, and uh, I've been shooting good, so I felt confident. I pull up, you know, empty the gun, bang, and I didn't kill a duck. Dude, I only shot twice on this morning's hunt, and that was to kill that swan, right? Empty the gun, bang, bang, bang. My brother empties his gun, bang, bang, bang. And I know for sure I've dropped one. And uh, another one comes flying around the back. I drop another shell in, a fourth, uh, you know, reload, just one shell reload. Mm-hmm. Drop it in, bang, drop that one. Dog goes after it. I've, you know, and it came in from behind. I look back around, and my brother is holding his hands up, waving them in the uh, don't shoot no more motion. Like, it's over motion. <laughs> and I'm like, what is he, what do you mean? And I look, and there are ducks, dude. <laughs> there are ducks laying all around him. Apparently, apparently, it was the perfect storm of where when we both started shooting, they all fell in one spot. And we got 11 of our 12, 12 ducks right there. The seven shots. Yeah, we shot the total. So you have to turn in. At the end of this hunt, you receive a survey, and you have to tell them how many times your party shot, what you shot, what you saw, whatever. You want to know how many times? We tallied it up. You want to know how many times? Hold up. Let me do it. Eight shots, 12 birds. Total, we shot 16 times because he had had to shoot a couple of cripples to finish Uh them off. Okay, gotcha. And I shot twice at the swan. Uh Uh-huh. I shot a total, I shot a total of three, I shot a total of six times the whole hunt. And we had our limit of ducks and a swan. (laughs) And so that was pretty unbelievable. Yeah. So that was a good hunt, um, to end it on and come back. But yeah, um, 
Yeah, that's that was the that was the Christmas week duck hunt. Uh, so, like I said, if you're the guy that had the beautiful spread, sorry for drifting in on you. And I'm sure there's going to be some stupid rule now that they're going to assign blinds out there because of that that day. Because here's the kicker: as the as that duck whacking was going down, those boys that we had drifted in on were out picking up their decoys. So they got to see the whole thing and have none of the fun. Which was done on their part. They should have had their shotguns because all those ducks went right to them after we, you know, after we got ours. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm sure they were just, I'm sure they were not happy with the situation. <laughs> and I, I, it sucks to laugh about, you know, their misfortune, but how many times have you been messed up by another duck, duck hunter, right? Yeah. So it is what it is. It's the name of the game. And uh, just so happened that we earned it that day. In my opinion, but trivia, go. How many states have swan tags? You know, uh, two for sure. Probably, Uh, probably five. There's yeah, it's close. There's eight. Um, I looked this up before, and they were surprising to me. Name the ones that you name the ones that you know for sure. The ones I know for sure: uh, North Mm -hmm. Carolina and Montana. Okay, yep. Both of them. Um, any other guesses? Uh, sure. How about, um, I would say that North Dakota. Yep. Uh, South Dakota. Yep. Um, let's see. Let's go with, uh, Virginia. I'll give you one more. One more Atlantic. Virginia? Yeah. All right, I'll say the rest. The rest are tough. Uh, Alaska, Nevada, and Utah. I was going to say Utah. Yeah. But, yeah. Inter- I, I, you know, I've never applied for a swan tag. Um, never gotten a swan tag, obviously. So, it's all it's all new to me. But we live in one of the few states that you can even, you can even go out and get one. Um, and these are tundra swan, tundra, tundra swan. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And the migration through here, I've seen plenty of swans actually on lottery draw hunts before. And I actually think one time we're we all driving back from the Dixie Deer Classic. Yep. Mm-hmm. Me and, and Steely. Me and Steely. Like ten, like ten thousand or a hundred. How many? How, I mean, how many do you think there were? I don't know. There's more than more than uh, more than you normally see for sure. It was no, it's just like waves in the sky. Right? Yeah, it was a lot. It was thousands, thousands. The the only other state where I've seen tundra swans was Minnesota, and I was surprised they don't have a season. But yeah, um, interestingly enough, you can you go look at the migration map if it's something you're interested in because it's um, we live in a very unique place for the ability to to hunt them and have a have the opportunity to get tags and stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah, it's 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 cool. If you haven't ever applied for a swan tag and gone through that uh, that whole ritual, you should. If you're into waterfowl or, or birds, it's uh, you know it's not something I do every year, but every couple of years I like to try to get a swan tag. And if I get one, I try to I try to fill it. Um, most years, if I get it, um, there's a couple of times I haven't filled it, but I don't ever. In North Carolina, we've got the unique opportunity to get a guided hunt for swan, and it's usually a field hunt. Super easy. You can take a kid, 
Um, if your kid gets a swan tag, it's a really easy introduction to waterfowl because they're easy to hit. They fly slow, and you can hunt them in a dry field situation. Um, I've never done it that way. I've always public land DIY'd it and shot mine over water. But um, yeah, swans are awesome. They're uh, pretty pretty good to eat. I've, I've heard a lot of mixed reviews about swan as far as the table fare. Um, I've got no complaints with eating swan. I, I think they're pretty good. Um, I, and I that's like not them. your first. You that's probably what is that your third or fourth? It's my third swan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was one in Montana? Nope, nope. My buddy got one in Montana. I never got a swan tag in Montana. Um, did how many how many tags do you do the or does the state of North Carolina? It's either out it's year? either three thousand or five thousand. I can't remember. Oh, so it's pretty rare. Yeah, either, they either issue three thousand or five thousand tags um, each year. Um, and I'd say probably half of those to a third of those get filled, um, if that. Not not all of them are getting filled. Yeah, a lot of guys just a lot of guys just get them in case they have the opportunity, you know. Sure. In regards to one, the migration map that I was talking about. I mean, it's it's amazing. So it starts up in Canada, kind of in the Alaska area, and then it splits. But all of the ducks, or excuse me, all of the swans that are filtering across the United States come down to the coast of Virginia and North Carolina. So it goes from like a very wide funnel down to this one very narrow piece of coastline where they winter. And I, since I'm new to it all, I'll do more research because I don't really know why that is. But it is pretty unbelievable that they all filter into such a small area. Yeah. So I mean, and when you and, and when you and Steely were talking about it, um, talking about seeing that coming back from the Dixie Deer Classic, I mean, the, the waves coming across the sky. I mean, you're talking thousands and thousands of birds. So um, obviously, the people at the WRC who are making those allotments of tags know what they're doing. Um, because I, based off of that one day of seeing them in the sky, that ain't putting a dent in the amount that y'all saw that one day coming coming down I-85. Yeah, yeah, um, it's uh, it's unbelievable. It's so cool that we get those here in North Carolina. I mean, do you know what the oldest swan on record is? Wild, wild swan. Let me take a stab at it. Um, Thirty-four. Yeah, thirty years old. Um, no, no kidding. Yeah, you know what the oldest. You know what the oldest bird is? No, I don't. All right, gray albatross. I think. Uh, do you know how old? You want to take a stab at that? Uh, I'm not thinking it can be possibly much past 30. Let's go 40. 77, maybe? What? That's wild. The, it's somewhere in the Pacific. They all filter into this, this one island. Or 50% of the population goes to this one island to find their breeding pair and, and hang out. So, yeah, the oldest one is somewhere in their 70s. Old birds. What an old bird. <laughs> Dude, Isn't that cool? Yeah. I th- what I found so cool about the swan, um, so the swan, the, they know they know this because of, and they know it was at least 30 because uh, it was tagged, it was banded as an adult, okay? So they, <laughs> all you can tell about birds when you're aging birds is if it's a juvenile or if it's an adult. Um, there's really no... You know, like you don't know the year. 
So they knew it was an adult when they banded it. So it was at least a year old. Um, and this bird was banded in somewhere in the, you know, on the tundra in the Arctic. And was killed in like, I want to say Virginia or oh maybe maybe North Carolina when it was uh, 30 plus. So banded back in the 80s and killed like a few years back. You know, um, so you wouldn't ever have that kind of data without hunters, which is neat. But it's also neat. Think about how many thousands of miles that swan traveled over its lifetime. Oh, yeah. Just uh, waterfowl are, if you don't have an appreciation for waterfowl, you, I don't think you can appreciate much in the natural world. Because those things, <laughs> dude, it's... You know, it's like a conflict for me a bit to be a duck hunter. But I'm a duck hunter because I love ducks. I love them. I love everything about them. I love hunting them. I love seeing them. I love thinking about them. I love thinking about all the crazy things they do. And I wouldn't do that if I did not hunt them. Right? I mean... I'm with you. I'm trying trying to put it into perspective of... Yes, I shoot a duck or two. And we'll water swap one on occasion. But I love them very, very much. Love them very, very much. And like I'm sitting here looking at a canvas back hanging on my wall right here. And it's like, dude, that thing traveled thousands of miles. And it just happened to meet its demise with me. Which is a much better death than I think nature would have planned for it anyway. And this way he's going to live on forever on my wall and, you know... After I'm gone, he either be passed down to my kids or go to a museum somewhere. Um, so he's kind of uh, immortalized. <laughs> Just uh, I found I found info on my albatross. Okay, yeah, tell me about it. Her name is Wisdom, and she's a lazen albatross, not a gray albatross. L a y s a n. Sixty nine. So I was one year off. Oh. Uh, but she was banded in 1956, still alive. And the island that they go to is called the Midway Atoll mm-hmm. uh, National Wildlife Refuge out in the middle of the Pacific, and it's the largest albatross colony in, in the world. Um, to, be, to be clear, I've never shot an albatross. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. Except for in golf. <laughs> Albatrosses. No, that is that is probably the dumbest question you've ever asked me. No, I, I absolutely. An albatross in golf is a hitting the ball in the hole with two shots on a par five. Okay, so that's so a good now thing. You learned something. That's a good yeah, thing. Yeah, it's a very good thing. Of course, albatrosses are great. So it sounds like a negative good. thing. Like if you said, "Oh, I albatrossed it," like it sounds like that's bad. <laughs> no, no, it's a good one. Speaking of wildlife sightings, um, as we're getting towards wrapping this thing up, I'm assuming, what time is time? Yeah, yeah, we're uh, hour 10. Okay. Uh, I went duck hunting over Christmas break after... I'm sorry, by by the way, I'm sorry for hogging the whole podcast with that story. Oh, no, it's a good story, man. Oh, please, no. I, uh, I wanted to hear that story. That story's awesome. And it's a real testament to ingenuity. Like, I would have been, I would have been so SOL. Well, I think uh, I felt like we were. It's just 
What choice did you have? Well, I, I would the I think for ninety nine point nine percent of people on planet Earth, cutting the wire to the cigarette lighter and then hardwiring the grinder to the battery using those wires is not something that would cross the mind of the like of the a, normal person. Of a normal human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. It really is. Uh, it was uh, uh yeah, it's it's uh huh. Um what was like I was good you said that and I was gonna interrupt you one more time and say something else that was it fit right in there with that. But oh what I didn't tell you was the rest of my brother's story, which is real quick, but it ties right into the land trust. So after we returned from our trip, he's had a so he's had a bang up week so far. He's caught monster yeah. stripers in the Chesapeake. He's shot rare and prized waterfowl in the Pamlico. And now he's back in the Piedmont on the Sportsman Access program on one of his draws. Okay. Christmas morning kills a stud eight point buck. No. Stud. Yeah, I haven't even told you this. Yeah. Stud. No I had no idea. Stud eight. Uh, I don't know if he'd can, be. Can I tell? Does he not want me to tell that? That's I don't know. I, I'll tell you this. It was at the point. Okay, cool. I don't know. I'll have to check with him. Make sure he's cool. I will tell what block it is. But uh, oh yeah, don't worry. Um, but he did kill it. He killed a. He killed a nice eight point buck on Christmas Day, at the point on his draw, and then the next day went back and killed a big old <laughs> killed a big old hog. <laughs> Davey or Owen County? Davey. 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 So, yeah, stripers uh, in the Chesapeake, waterfowl in the Pamlico, and a big old buck and a wild boar in old Davy County on the SAP program. How about it? All in, awesome. all in less than a week. <laughs> uh, yeah. Over Christmas, um, the, actually, the day after Christmas, Steely and I uh, went duck hunting. And it was... 17 degrees yeah it was cold very cold and we didn't do a whole lot of shooting but we uh we got out there and this pond that we were hunting over was completely iced over and we're out there and keep hearing just this loud just really loud kind of startling noise coming from the ice and uh after put out my my decoys in some open water i uh i went over to the bank and was kind of setting up an area for us to hunt from and the noise kept getting closer and closer and i was trying to figure out if it was my ripples in the water kind of breaking the ice around me um and saw just a glimpse of a couple of otters breaking through the ice and looking at me oh that's cool and i was like oh this is fun. how cool is that you know how much fun is that so um, we end up sliding over to this blind that was kind of across the way and sitting down in there and trying to stay warm and the noise starts coming back and we're watching as these otters are breaking through the ice and I saw so I could follow them you know, just by the sounds they were making until they got into eye shot um, in kind of like this flooded timber area and I, we finally saw this otter pop his head up, break his head, like headbutting it from underneath. So he's swimming under the ice, heads, headbutts it from below, and busts a hole through the ice. And he's using his mouth to pick up the chunks of ice that he headbutted out of the way and throw them out of his hole. 
What? And then, and then he'll, yeah, so he was picking up, like, I don't know, pancake-sized pieces of ice where he was headbutting it from below the ice and throwing them out of the way of the hole so he and his partner could look up and kind of, like, periscope around. <laughs> um, which is really, I mean, we're just having a ball. We haven't pulled the trigger all morning. Um, and then, so we're sitting there watching them and laughing and, um, I've noticed that there's like fish scales and like poop and stuff on our blind. So they've obviously like spent a pretty decent yeah. amount of time there. And I was so he, he drops down out through the hole and I'm following watching his bubble line. He's probably like where we first saw him maybe 30, 35 yards away. And I could see his bubble line underneath the ice and then he pops his head up again and he. 25 yards and then he goes back down and then comes to 20 15 yards and pops up and breaks through the ice and uh he comes all the way touching our blind like getting ready to climb in before he sees us he breaks through the ice at the base of the blind and then sees us and you know he's just barking at us and all kinds of stuff and then his partner um, is I you know I think it was him is barking at our decoys, swims away from us, and then sees our decoys <laughs> and is barking at them too. I mean, it was an absolute ball. So you were pissing off uh, your neighbors while you were duck cutting too, just to yeah, different... no, yeah, exactly. We're, we're just a couple exactly. of we're a couple of ice holes. <laughs> that's what I'm gonna. Uh, I, I don't that's know. Funny. That's my closest ever otter experience. I mean, I was probably three, four feet away from them, and they're just yeah. They're a neat fur bearer, man. Between between swans and otters, we we got a lot around here, you know. Yeah, North Carolina's great, man. North Carolina's great. Matter of fact, speaking of otters, uh, two Sundays ago, I had an otter swim up the creek, like right in front of my house, like swam right through my yard. Um, two Sunday mornings ago. So the I'm, more I, the more I get up, the more I like them. Yeah, otters are cool. I like I like to catch an otter. Or two every year when I'm trapping, but uh, they're a super what's awesome. The, yeah, what's the are they are, in terms of the price of furs? Are they valuable? In a in a in a good year, yeah. Um, they're they're usually they're usually uh, some of the most valuable fur North Carolina has to offer. But um, you know, this year with fur prices being oh, I got an update on that. Remember when we had the Rowdy Huntsman on? I told about the Denmark thing and the the mink yeah please uh, order. Um, so the farmers kind of fought that the Denmark farmers, they were like, yeah, you can't, you can't tell us to kill, kill our mink, which I don't blame them. You know, Mm -hmm. that that's totally not cool. Um, so they were able to, uh, get that number from 11 million or whatever it was down. So the kill order, um, has been decreased significantly. Um, so at least they won't have to kill all their mink. I don't know what that means for. North American trappers. American fur prices, yeah. Yeah, uh, but I, I do know that as things get a little better, it looks like um, looks like fur is going to be able to be shipped into uh, Canada. So that's good because that's where all our, all our big auction, that's where our big auction is. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the update on that. But as far as otters go, yeah, they're usually uh, one of the more desirable furs in North Carolina. They're, uh, they're really, uh, really nice. We, we I don't doubt those. that the way they were. I mean, obviously, it's the cold didn't bother them one one bit. Yeah, I don't know anybody who targets otter specifically. They'll usually make an otter set if they're trapping water for other water mammals. You know, beaver, mink, muskrat, 
Um, a lot of times you can make an otter set or catch an otter in your in your beaver set, but I don't know anybody that really targets targets otters. I know I don't, um, and usually I, I try to not target them by moving my trigger over to the side. So the only thing that would set my trap off is a beaver, you know, because the otter's really cylindrical, and yeah, they sure. and they can shoot right through that trap without ever setting it off. But it's nice to like it's like a nice little surprise to catch one or two a year. You know, it's just like a cool thing to hold up close if you've never held one up close and and got to really examine him it's uh it's neat they're 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 really neat and they're surprised i mean they can be surprisingly large large yes that was the one thing that i kind of from seeing uh this pair so close yeah they get big you ever had one steal well i guess if you hadn't seen a whole lot up close i've had them actually steal my ducks before like shoot a duck down and it'd be floating on the Never water. No. I've had it be floating on the water, and you know, before I had a dog, and I was like having to wade to go get it. Had an otter beat me to it. This has happened to me twice. Have an otter beat me to the duck, grab my dead duck, and take it over to the bank and start eating it. I've had that happen two times. Um, yeah, I'd say the otters that we that we saw were probably. I, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong here. If I had to take a stab at it, I'd say. 15 pounds yeah yeah they can get that big oh yeah that's uh that's a that's a big that's a full-grown north carolina otter for sure yeah yeah they they get big they're uh they're cool they're uh another fun fact about river otters they have uh flat skulls um so if you ever see their skull it's like it's like super like somebody took a it's like somebody took a uh cast iron skillet and whacked them over the top of the head their skull is flat on top which is testament to your story where they're breaking that ice with their head. It's like uh, it's like their head's made for that. <laughs> um, but the other maybe cool, so you know because they I mean yeah I couldn't believe it yeah, yeah. I, I really you know and the ice was not you know when you're walking through ice in a swamp or in a pond or something like that in your waders and you get to the point where maybe you've been walking on the edge or out in the middle or somewhere where the ice is kind of thin, and then you hit that point where, like, it's no longer easy to uh-huh, break the ice uh-huh. with your thigh. Uh-huh. And then at some point, you're going to reach the point where you have to, like, get the butt of the stock of your gun and crack the ice a little bit yep. before you go through it with your thigh because it's too thick. Yep. I was – where I was hunting around the spawn – was an area where it was too thick for me to break it, kind of just walking normally with my thigh. I mean, we're talking a quarter inch, maybe. Yeah, so it was hard enough that it would have hurt. It's not, yeah, with like, a human being trying to walk through it with his thigh, couldn't break it. Yeah, that's cool. But this thing was coming up and spearing it from below and breaking through it and then tossing those chunks with his mouth. And, and awesome. you know a North Carolina otter doesn't see that much ice. Like, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. those otters, have, I mean, they've seen some ice, but not a lot. Um, so that's that's cool, man. Another cool fact about them, and I I hesitate to tell this on the podcast, but it's it's true. They have a bifurcated uh, member. Penis, yeah. Yeah, they got a, they have a bifurcated member, so that means that I it, didn't know that it's split. Uh, so uh, yeah, you can think about that later. <laughs> Just otters, man. They're uh, they're neat. They are uh, they're a neat critter. Um, I've got one more thing to close this thing down. They are very cool. Yeah, I think the next thing you have is like literally the only important thing we're going to talk about this whole podcast. I'm calling. Yeah, I closed. I'm going to call I this closed, podcast uh, Ice Hole. 
Ice hole. Ice holes. The ice holes. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. I closed. Uh, I closed my first ever easement with the land trust today. That's great, man. Which is cool. It's um. It was so I started working with the with the conservation team and with Crystal and with Cody, kind of at the beginning of the year, and um, have been helping crystal with a lot of projects and helping cody with land management and stuff but um a few months back i got a phone call from a landowner and crystal was gracious enough to say go ahead this one's yours do it all yourself and um I, i'm sure he wouldn't mind me talking about it i know he wouldn't his name's mr mcnair and the project's in davie county and we closed today right before the end of the year but it's 147 acres um, beautiful mature hardwoods um, it's got this tributary that splits the property in half with kind of waterfalls that go through the property two ponds um, I remember going and visiting him the first time and seeing the property and being like oh this is a place that you know deserves to be protected and um, going through the process like we talked about with Travis in our last episode where we make a report about the property and then reporting to the board and to the conservation committee and getting their recommendations and then being kind of committed or excited about this project before going to the board and the conservation committee and hoping that they passed it and then they they said it was good and to go ahead and then getting the go ahead from Crystal to create a baseline report and to actually you know draft the easement itself the legal document and put it all the way through and right here before the end of the year to close um it's very gratifying you know it's uh i was i was saying earlier today i was like man you know if this covid if i end up getting covid and it takes me at least i've i've taken 150 acres with me or 160 acres with me and protected it forever Left my legacy, which is the good thing about this work, man. I that's that's one thing that's pretty amazing is to be able to have some sort of long lasting perpetual legacy that you can be proud of. So, um, there you go, another another 100 plus acres protected in the central Piedmont of North Carolina. Yeah, congratulations, man. Uh, and just to clarify a little bit what, what Sam means when he says he closed this easement it means that he he did all the groundwork from start to finish on you know con you know talking with this landowner walking them through the easement types helping them establish an easement that was good for them that was going to protect their property forever in perpetuity and then drafting up all the language working with the lawyers working with appraisers working with you know god and everybody to get this thing closed by the end of the year it's a like he was able to sum it up in five minutes, but it's five months of work. Um, yeah, and you know, I've I've gotten to work with Crystal and you and everybody on the aspects of easements, bits and pieces, doing you know this here there, first one all the way through. Yes, yeah. which is cool, but. Uh, yeah, it is. It is a lot of work, and it's also, I think, one thing that we we didn't talk about when you and me and Travis were talking. But through doing this one, and I, I 
I think it's important saying, you know, these are perpetual easements. And I guess the one thing that I've I kind of realized through all this process more than I had even before was it's a, it's a very important. Sorry, you broke up a little bit there. You're breaking, breaking up a little bit. Hey, can you hear me, Cody? Yep, right there. I got you. All right, good. It's, it's a very important and kind of like trusting relationship between us, the land trust, and the landowner themselves. And um, we kind of both want to be in the situation where we're extremely happy, at least I definitely did with, with Mr. McNair, where, you know, for five months, like you said, we worked together to make sure that the document was exactly what he wanted and was exactly what we wanted, the land trust wanted. And, um, you know, when we talk about protecting these properties and working on private lands in the future, it's, uh, it's really a relationship, honestly, where we're building the groundwork so that both parties are very happy and it's going to be a good relationship moving forward. Um, and that's that really stood out to me about this project is how much time and groundwork went into making sure that everybody was happy and, you know, the groundwork of that relationship was, was set to be just right for both parties. So, um, yeah, I like what we do, man. We have a cool job. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, it's wonderful that you were able to get that, get that closed. Um, I'm, uh, I'm super excited for the landowner and you and, and to know that there's another hundred plus acres in, uh, perpetual conservation. So that's, I agree. That's great. Um, I think that's a good note to end on, man. Um, should we should we close with a couple of ads? Would you mind me starting with one? Let me start with one because I All right, go ahead. the whole story. What I neglected to talk about because the story's so long. My duck hunting trip is uh, the uh, the things that I my gear and we cooked supper. Um, and I, I, I'll full disclosure, everything was wet because it rained the night before. But we cooked supper on the BioLite stove, and uh, it was a little frustrating because everything was wet. But uh, the BioLite stove cooked uh, cooked deer bratwurst for us um, fairly short order once we got her going. So yeah, uh, imagine trying to get a fire going. Yeah. Oh, there was no. That was not like on the ground. No chance you know? of that. No chance yeah. of that. Um, so backcountry and beyond. If you're interested in having one of those by lights like we had um obviously on a drier condition it's even better but uh thing things are pretty awesome little tools to have um in a camping situation and so we had those and and backcountry beyond is where we got it so you should visit them check those guys out there they've got a lot more than the by light but that's uh that's one of the items we had with us yeah while we're on the topic i'm uh i'm sitting probably 10 feet away from the Yeti bucket. It's been a while since we brought the Yeti bucket up, Cody. Yeah, I agree. I've got the Yeti bucket sitting there, and you were the one who told me about it. But I've been using the Yeti bucket for brining. Yeah. And it is that's that's a good use for the Yeti bucket. I put ice in there yesterday. It's still got ice in it. Yeah, and it's not even made to hold ice, but it's such a heavy bucket. It's got the yeah. It's kind of like it's heavy. It's insulated. I, it's somewhat chilly outside, but if you were to throw ice in like a 
five-gallon bucket, it would not have held as long as this. With the lid on it, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, and that lid's airtight. That's uh, uh-huh. uh Yeah, I think if you're gonna if you're gonna break down and, and get a Yeti bucket, that's what you're buying it for. My, that is in a, my that opinion, is a, that is a handy use for it. Um, I've got a ham from a hog in there, and I've made this. I made this brine with you know salt, brown sugar, and bay leaves, and all the things that you use. But I put the ham in there, put the brine in, threw the ice in, and it's been in there for you know thirty hours. Yep. Which yeah, I'm not trying to dilute my brine by continually adding a bunch of ice and just adding more water than needs to be in there so um again that was a gift from my friend at uh backcountry beyond jeff and it's been super handy for that for sure yeah uh, there's no there's no kitchen implement there's no pan there's no bowl there's no nothing that you can use that's big enough to hold a full quarter and brine it no or a a whole turkey that's what i brined in it uh, yeah yeah I agree. And it's that, it's you, the perfect thing for that. Yeah, for sure. So, um, additionally, we need to talk about who else do we need to talk? Rock Outdoors. Yeah, Rock Outdoors. We need to we need to uh, we need to send you guys over there. So, you if you've gotten your BioLite stove and your Yeti bucket from from Backcountry Beyond, your next stop after the after the holidays should be uh, should be Rock Outdoors because chances are. Sam, here's here's my ad for for Rock Outdoors. Chances are you got it's Christmas. It was Christmas, and you probably got a gift or two that you, you know, you're appreciative. I was appreciative. We're all appreciative of any gift we get, but it's like, yeah, that wasn't really quite what I wanted. You know, like it's like, oh, you you got me, uh, you got me a. Uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of something I wouldn't like that much. <laughs> anything that'll get you in trouble um yeah that's what i'm trying to do i'm trying to avoid that but i'm also trying to like think of something that ping pong paddles oh you got me me ping pong paddles that's cool if only i had a ping pong table to use them on yeah Uh yeah yeah Yeah, something like that like if you received ping pong paddles for christmas you know you should probably just treat yourself to rock outdoors because they don't have ping pong paddles (laughs) (laughs) like they might but uh they uh no they don't they're gonna have something that you uh, that you're into there. I don't care if you're a, a hunter, duck hunter, fisherman, deer hunter, paddler, boater. If you like going outside, period, Rock Outdoors is gonna have that uh, after Christmas treat that you're gonna need to get yourself, um, including men's undergarments. So here's here you go. Say you got some undergarments. that's like you're like thanks, but uh, these are from Hanes. You know, it's like I could have bought these myself. <laughs> Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, that's great. You, you know, somebody got you some draws that are, you know, subpar. Did you did you get draws this Christmas? I did not. I did not get any. I, I gave got socks. I, you, know? you got some socks. Did you get fits? Or were, did you get No, I, I didn't get fits. Oh, okay. No, we'll we'll be careful on we'll be careful on who is, got you no, these. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to talk. I, I promise you. I ain't going to talk them up. But that's one thing I've noticed over the last three Christmases. You know, when you, when I was younger, I would get real excited, like, about toys. Yeah, about oh, things, yeah. Oh, yeah. About stuff, yep. you know? And then at some point, mm-hmm. like, practicality took over and, like, getting socks 
was the <laughs> thrill because like I need more socks. And I hate you know? buying them. I hate buying. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I gave I socks. Just, like I can, I can avoid buying socks by just getting them for Christmas every year. Yep. Yep, I'm with you. Buy socks. That happens when you're uh, 20, 19, 20 years old. Yeah, somewhere right in there. Um, but what I've noticed is I can never avoid purchasing underwear because everybody likes to buy you socks, but nobody likes to buy you underwear. For me, at least. Like, you know, it's it, for me, I'm always getting nice socks. <laughs> and I'll get four pairs of nice socks. <laughs> and then I won't get underwear to go with it, usually. <laughs> and so then I have to go out. But now I, I have, in the last few years, gotten a few pair of underwear. But this year, no underwear, man. And I wish, I wish somebody had gone to, I wish somebody had gone to Rock Outdoors and got me a couple of pair of their uh, sacks underwear. I really do. Cause oh, it's so funny. You know, I, for one, I've had a couple pair of sacks. I like them. For me, I actually like them a whole lot. They they do the job for me. And then two, what I do when I get a new pair of socks, like during Christmas, I just did it a few few days ago when I come home with my with my presents and with your, with your haul. It was my haul. Is I'll go into my drawer upstairs and I'll take the ratty socks from the year before or however I mean they're probably from high school who knows and I'll throw away the amount of pair of socks that I have that are ratty for the new ones ah see that that's that's a hot tip man I've not done that and since I since I didn't get any sacks from Rocks Outdoors I have these same old ratty pair (laughs) that you know I've had for a few years so um, if you you know it's I know Christmas is gone but I'm sure there's some somebody out there like me who's like, I got too many socks and not enough underwear this Christmas. And if you really want to show that you're, you know, a good pal or uh, you care about somebody, go after Christmas, get somebody some sacks, and and uh, <laughs> give them a late present. You know, dude. If a bro bought me, if one of my, if, if you bought me, <laughs> if you if you gifted me. A pair of sacks from Rock Outdoors. I would, I would comment on how strange it was, but I would still be like, "Thanks, man." Like, <laughs> you know, like it'd be super weird. But at the end of the day, I would be glad that you did it. Yeah, <laughs> dude, that's so weird and funny at the same time. Rock Outdoors <laughs> is where you can, where you can go to be weird and funny and show that you truly care about your bro. Um, I gave, I gave, I gave some socks for Christmas. Um, didn't get any socks or sacks. Um, I did get a pretty, uh, you'll think this is funny. You and your, you and your old roommate. I did get a pretty sweet robe, like, like a house coat robe for Christmas flannel, full on flannel robe, uh, which is awesome. I've been running it every night around the house if i had a nightcap to go with it i'd really be set oh yeah yeah i mean you know how i feel about that slippers and a night i told my i told mikey <laughs> i was like i'm gonna need slippers i'm gonna need you to go grab my slippers and my pipe that would be uh ideal right now for you just run and grab that 
she uh, shot me a look of how about I strangle you with that uh, robe robe belt that you're wearing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was my clothes clothing gift this Christmas. Didn't come from rock. Funny. Oh, go there, get that stuff, and support our sponsor stores. We appreciate it. They appreciate it. Everybody appreciates it. Still got you there, Sam? Uh-oh. May have lost Sam. That's all right. We're going to end it right here. Um, hey, can you nope, hear me? Nope, he's back. He's back. All right, sorry about that. Jeez. Last thing. I'm going to shut it down. One Christmas present that I did get was from my parents, and they got me the complete set of Richard Walters books. So I got Water Dog, Gun Dog, and Game Dog. And uh, 2021 is going to be the year of the dog for me, buddy. I'm excited for you, man. There's uh, The only thing more exciting than having a puppy is having a baby. And they're both equally challenging. Did I, wait, did I, I brought that up at the beginning of the episode, didn't I? No, we you and I talked you and I talked about it, but we didn't talk about it on air. Okay, good, good. Uh, well, hey, I, I'm thrilled about it, um, and I know that that's what you would use to train Ellie, correct? That's uh, I, I went with uh, I went with Water Dog for a good portion of my methodology. Yes, um, it's a well, ph- if, phenomenal uh, if book. Ellie, if Ellie was trained with that book, then I know it's a high quality reading material and I need to take my notes and pay attention. So, um, so far I've started with, uh, game dog, which is like a upland yep. and waterfowl hybrid. Um, but I think he's, he's referencing water dog a lot. So I think I'm going to go back and, um, and read water dog first and then use game dog as the second. But, um, if anybody's out there looking for a beginning starter point for, you know, potentially buying a dog that seems to be a really good point and cody's dogs are unbelievable and if they were trained with it then you know it's good yeah i i, uh, I veered off of some of richard's uh methodology just because technology's updated a lot since he wrote those books um i got my copy right here i'll look and see i'm sitting in my it's study the 1960s the i have it right here yeah so written in the 60s so technology has changed drastically um since then but this book richard walters if anything about this guy he knew dogs he knew like there is a ton of truth in when he talks about the ages and the things they will do at various ages as they grow like various weeks so at seven weeks they're doing this and at eight weeks they're doing this and at 18 weeks they're gonna be a butthole like a teenager, like yeah, mm-hmm. all these things he he said this is this is how it works and it's it's it rings so true. It's like a parenting book, um, you know it is unbelievable and you know he's regarded by a lot of people as kind of the 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 gun dog god and uh, I wouldn't take it that far, but yeah, it's uh you'll learn a lot reading those books. They're great books. I I mean I've got two copies of Water Dog. One of them's got sticky notes all in it from where I you know when I was working with my first bird dog and, and taking notes on everything, trying to be a sponge, you know? Yeah. That's uh, kind of where I'm at right now. 
it's yeah you're going to be overwhelmed with information but uh water dog man it's great the only thing i suggest in and veering off from what he did is uh e-collar yeah go ahead and that's one of the best purchases i ever made it uh certainly helps helps speed along the process and uh nothing nothing is going to supplement the fundamentals um, they got to know those regardless before you ever put an e-collar on them. But it's like insu- it's like an insurance policy when you put that e-collar on that, hey, I have control over my dog even when he's off leash. Um, and that's something I think that if Richard would have had that available to him, he probably would have used it. Because why would you not want to keep your dog safe at all times and under control? Sure. So yeah, it's a great book. Great book. Super cool. Super cool dude. How do you like the uh, cover picture of him? Had he's got the one dog sitting at heel, and he's sending the second dog. And he's wearing that cool uh, fedora with all the patches on it. Is that the copy? And the, and the hip waders. And the rubber. And the rubber hip waders. And a yeah. And a white. Like and a white. Like he looks like he's dressed for church underneath that. Like a white button down, long sleeve. Whistle in his mouth. <laughs> Yeah, whistle in his mouth, uh, cigarette hanging out of his pocket. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah, look, just a gentleman. You know, gentleman, he looks like he could either be training dogs, preaching a sermon, or passing Al Capone a Tommy gun. Or, you know, just catching a monster trout. Yeah, I mean, he's a likable <laughs> looking dude just looking at his yeah. picture. Like, if that doesn't make you want the book, nothing will. I agree. We've not, we haven't done a bunch of book reviews on here in the one podcast where we did do a book review not much to say about that but uh you know i think if we ever do a book once you finish reading these i would love to do a book review on the richard walters series because i've read them all too and i'm down i think i think people would i think people would like that all right this episode this episode here ends 2020 yep coming back with season four new season season four Um, isn't that crazy man Hopefully we're going to be able to get back into the studio and use the the good equipment and and do it right for season four. But uh, nobody knows what the what the world is going to hold for us. So we're gonna we're gonna keep getting you content one way or another, whether it's remotely or otherwise. We're gonna keep telling you silly duck hunting stories and and good conservation works up until the end of days. Um, so until revelation is the prophecy is fulfilled we're going to keep on putting this show out and uh yeah everybody please you know stay safe over the new year um i hope you had a good christmas and enjoy time with your family and everybody stayed safe like i said um season four of our show will come out starting next year i know seasons i see we say seasons like it's you know things change from one to the next which they don't but i think it does show longevity which i mean we're we've put out what like ten thousand hours or so i mean just a crazy amount a lot yeah yeah (laughs) um and stuck with it and uh we appreciate every single person who who listens and um hopefully we'll continue doing this for a long time and and uh continue to spread the word about conservation and about the land trust and what we do and that's really why we're here in the first place so thank y'all for your support thank you for listening and we'll uh we'll talk to you come 2021 yeah yep 
2021 last update if you have an idea for a show or questions oh uh uh-oh questions or anything concerning the podcast or three rivers land trust conservation work um feel free to reach out to sam or myself our emails are sam at three rivers land trust.org or cody at three rivers land trust.org reach out to us and uh, we'd love to talk to you about conservation and uh, the podcast and hear from you if you got thoughts um so yeah merry christmas happy new year uh, look forward to season four. If you're like us, you're riding down the road listening to the podcast on your commute. But when you get to where you're going, don't forget. Like us on Facebook. Check us out at our website, threeriverslandtrust.org. There you can find out about all the events we're putting on, all the conservation work we're doing, how you can get involved, and how you can help. We'd love to meet like-minded individuals and get you involved in conservation. Till next time.